But the things that most noticeably struck me were, number one, an aged quality to the film, and particularly in the first one, which I thought uh, left you in, in kind of an emotional lurch. Uh, <laughs> I, I had hoped at the time that it was Coleridge's willing suspension of disbelief, but I don't know how willing that suspension was now. But it points up, of course, one of the major problems of trying to do a 24-minute show and probe people and tell a legitimate story and tackle a, at least a reasonably mature theme. Also, I think it very definitively and clinically points out one of the major inbred problems of television, that however moving and however probing and incisive the drama, it cannot retain any, any consistent thread of legitimacy when after 12 or 13 minutes, out come 12 dancing rabbits with toilet paper. <laughs> You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And this is season three wrap-up, guys. Again, I said last week, but congratulations. We made it. Uh, applause all around. Yeah, made it through one more season of The Twilight Zone. I'm, yeah. I'm excited. We got two more to go, Paul. <laughs> yeah, just, just two more. Uh, and uh, yeah. yeah, Well, I mean, so uh, this will be an interesting discussion. We're doing a wrap-up of season three, so hopefully everybody here has watched all the episodes and they've listened to us meander through it with varying degrees of success. Um, yeah, uh, I didn't know what to expect. I feel like we came off season two feeling really good. And then the beginning of season three started off like on some highs and this has just been a weird season to watch. And this would be an interesting conversation. Uneven to say the least. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been, we've had some really high highs. We've had some really low lows, which we will get into on this episode. And we've had a lot that just kind of fell in the middle that were just okay. A lot that were just okay. Yeah. So I'll start off here with a quote from Sterling in, in April of 61. So before the season even really got in, in swing, he said, I've never felt quite so drained of ideas as I do at this moment. Stories used to bubble out of me so fast I couldn't set them down on paper quick enough. But in the last two years, I've written 47 of the 68 Twilight Zone scripts, and I've done 13 of the first 26 of the next season. I've written so much, I'm woozy. And that goes on to say uh, about Sterling talking about fatigue, uh, beginning to overcome his enthusiasm. It's just more than you really should do. You can't retain quality. You start borrowing from yourself and making your own cliches. I noticed that more and more. So I feel like that was a, that's a good touch point to get to say before we get into this. Yeah. And how many times during this season have we said, how many times have we seen this before? Or yeah. we've seen something similar to this before. I feel like every other episode this season, we're talking about themes that we've talked about multiple times throughout the series. So uh, 
it, it's I, it's nice to know that we're on the same page of how Serling felt going into this episode and probably coming out of it as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 one of those things where uh, I was actually talking to my mother on Cinco de Mayo and she was asking about the new series that we're covering over on the Patreon cheap plug. And I told her that <laughs> it was uneven, much like the original show. And she was like, oh, the original show is great. And I, I kind of looked at her as like, it has great episodes. And she is like, no, I think I think they're all pretty good. I was like, no, <laughs> like, when's the last time you've watched them uh, all the way through, you know? And, and she was like, I don't know. And just kind of left the conversation at that. But it, I... I it's where most people seem to lie on the show is yeah. that it's it's a classic and it can't be touched. Yeah, and then you actually go back and you watch something like Cavender is coming or, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Mr. Denton on Doomsday or uh, Mighty Casey. You watch these episodes and you realize that there are a ton of episodes that are just kind of lost into the ether of time uh, that nobody talks about that just are are not great. Like, I just imagine you're like, look at your mother and be like, you may have brought me to this wrong crate in my life, but you don't know me. Like after that conversation. <laughs> no, I, just, uh, no, I, I was just trying to say like, you know, we've, I, I feel like this is coming from a place of honesty. We've been doing the show now for a couple of years and, you know, we've watched them week after week and we try and talk about them honestly. Like yeah. I'm not going to sugarcoat it if I, if I'm not enjoying an episode or something, or if something doesn't strike me right. And, um, that's that's why I feel like this episode is always good because it's a little moment to reconcile with those things that we didn't like. Yeah. So but I, um, I'm always honest about it. And uh, I, I think it kind of takes people back how honest we can be with the, especially the season three. So I'll give you I'll give you another quote here. This is a little wordy. So I feel like this is a good also frame to this. So uh, when asked if he was satisfied with the series as his only outlet in television, this is before the third season began. He said, I think it ran out last year, although it will be with us another season. I'm tired of it, as most people are when they do a series for three years. I was tired after the fourth show. It's a good series. It's not been consistently good, but I don't know of any one series that is consistently good when you shoot uh, in, shoot it in three days. We've been trying gradually to get away from the necessity of a gimmick, but the show has the stamp of the gimmick, and it look it, it's looked for now. Um, meaning, I guess, of the gimmick it looks for now. That's what people are known. What it's known for. <clears throat> it's tough to come up with them week after week. In terms of a track record, I guess that a third of them have been pretty damn good shows. Another third have been passable, and I would guess that. Sorry, <clears throat> and another third are dogs which I think is a little bit better than batting average than the average film show. But to be honest, it's not as good as we thought or expected it might be. <laughs> yes. Serling's harsher than we are. Yes. He's a little bit too honest there. <laughs> so you could tell, like we talked about with our season two wrap up, he said at the end of that, and this is before he went into season three proper, he said he felt like a sack of potatoes left rotting in the sun. So because which of his my contract, favorite yeah. Serling quote. <laughs> So we get this idea that he's just kind of spent and just kind of like, I have to come up with this stuff. So that doesn't excuse the season because like you're hired to do a job and this is you putting you out there. Um, I could easily forgive it because I have no idea how I would respond. Um, I've written two short stories, two short films and our strange highways episode that we did. That is not significant output. So I cannot imagine trying to do, you know, like 
the bulk of the episodes of like 24 minute scripts and having bunnies come out and sell toilet paper in between, which I thought was a wonderful uh, quote from him when we started the episode. Uh, yeah. yeah, that that's from a, that's from a talk that he gave, um, at, uh, UCLA and, uh, and 71. So he didn't, he didn't live much past this. This was around when the night gallery was coming on and I, I stumbled across this and it was great. He was very candid, because they showed two episodes from the series before he started talking. And that's why he made the comment about like, you know, like I thought that this would resonate more then. And I see some of you guys kind of looking sideways at some of the stuff I said, he's very quick to be like, yeah, I thought it was good. I could have done better. And the, I felt like that was a good frame for season three. Yeah, definitely. So in a uh, typical wrap up faction uh, fashion, we're going to be doing our best and worst of the series, but this time we're also adding uh, a new segment, <laughs> which is so. d- rightfully deserved for this season. So I, I yeah, yeah. 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 So the new, uh, section that we're going to be doing for this wrap up is mo- top five, most frustrating episodes. <laughs> so we're not going to, we're not just going to tear things down this whole time, but I, we wanted to bring to the table some episodes where maybe there was really good potential uh, maybe there was a great cast or something. Maybe there was seeds of a great story in there, but somewhere at some point, something didn't follow through. <laughs> so yeah. it, I think it'll be interesting conversation and uh, maybe we can breeze through the worst episodes so we don't have to spend too much time just tearing stuff down. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do that. And then I'll talk about some of the fallout from uh, season three after that. So we'll keep people. Well, that's a tease for later. So for, for the fallout from a show that's been off the air for 50 years. So uh, my bottom five, um, I'm going to first go with a piano in the house. Uh, hey, uh, are we going to go back to back? Maybe. I don't know. Um, All right. Just well, because- that's also my number five. So <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to piggyback off that one because yeah. we're in line. It just, it was mean spirited. Like it was just mean, like maybe an interesting idea there. And it maybe could have like butted into the most like frustrating, but this, like the main character of, um, was it Gerald, Gerald asshole McGee or whatever his name was in that, uh, like, um, like Fitzgerald, Fitz, Fitzgerald fortune. fortune. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Uh, poor fortune, just how he used the, the piano scrolls. Sorry. We learned the word was roll, which was the proper thing to say as a weapon and just to delight in everybody. And then just to find out that like he was just insecure and he's just a big baby and he's going to do something bad. I just, it just, it, everything for an episode dealing with a piano, it hit so many sour notes and that's, that's my highfalutin commentary on that one. Yeah. And he's such an unlikable character. It's really hard to take any joy in watching it. Yeah. And I feel like his character arc doesn't give you the satisfaction of like some just desserts that, uh, that Serling is so good at, uh, he doesn't give you, uh, he doesn't give you something that's good enough for how terrible of a human being that Fitzgerald fortune is. Well, so yeah, that, that was my big, uh, frustration with the episode and outside of having, having like a good house and a good setting and the antique store in the beginning of it looked mm-hmm. great and everything, uh, pretty stale direction in that one as yeah, well. Yeah. And that was our second, uh, Earl Hamner script, which, uh, uh, he might make an appearance here a little later on my list, but we also, I just want to mention, we did say goodbye to George Clayton Johnson in the season, if I remember right. Right. So like, yeah, I believe like, so. Cause I think kick the cam was his last uh, script. If I remember for the show. So there was like, you know, we, I want to say there was a changing of the guard, but Earl Hamner came in 
And George Clayton Johnson left, and you know, I just I wish he would have stuck around. And Hamner, maybe Hamner gets better. We don't know, but he's going to write some more stuff for season four and season five. So, what is your number four for uh, your bottom five? Uh, my number four is Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. <laughs> Um, no surprise, we have not been fans of the comedy output for uh, for the Twilight Zone through any of the seasons. Yeah, and although Frisbee was a bit more likable than some of the other comedic characters, um, it was just kind of a droning performance, and I feel like the episode doesn't really go anywhere. No. They call me, uh, they call me old bottom five Frisbee is what they call me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's he, I, I, yeah. like, there, there are a couple fun moments throughout the episode. Like Andy divine is charming, but I just, just was annoyed by his character the entire time. Yeah. And again, like his character arc in the episode, nobody believes him. He goes and does something yeah. and nobody still believes him. It's predictable. Uh, it's, it's frustrating and it really serves no purpose, uh, outside of just delivering a couple, a couple awkward moments. Yeah. And it was also, and it, it just, I'm sure you guys probably picked up on this, probably the most drunk I got during the entire season trying to get through it. So <laughs> that's bad. It's bad whenever I have to be like, Nope, this is what we're going to do now. So yeah, it was, uh, it was some rough business and just it, everything about it just graded on me. It was, it's my number three. So, um, I have a number four, so maybe, maybe they switch positions. My number four is one more pallbearer in there. Um, because like as much as we love the underground, like, you know, spile air of Dr. No or Dr. Nope, whatever you want to call him, uh, <laughs> just that whole thing is so heavy handed and it gives away the ghost so early. And then the twist is so stupid at the end of his character of being like, I don't get apologies from me and my fake, like, you know, uh, missile attack actually didn't happen, but my mind's broken and I'm now wandering around in my shattered reality. Like just cool visuals, uh, except for the fact of him being in the darkened room and calling the three people in with an intercom and then he turns the light on. He's just sitting in a chair, which is hilarious. It's probably my, my favorite laugh out loud moment of the season. The whole thing <laughs> is just, it's just, super heavy handed. And a lot of what we dealt with in terms of like, what do you hold dear and important was better addressed in the shelter, you know? So yeah. that, that's my yeah. number four. Well, uh, that might come up on one of my lists. So I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to withhold my commentary. Top, top on five. That one. Top five. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Uh, probably not. <laughs> uh, so my number three is one we covered recently. It is Cavender is coming. <laughs> Um, I wish you didn't. <laughs> That's my commentary oh, on the episode. Yeah. I, I actually um, put in my put in my notes. Cavender's coming is on a level by itself and did not make my list. Like I just, <laughs> it just it's like you. Um, so years ago, like was a few years ago, um, ESPN or somebody put out like the top party colleges, like and one of, and and they put in the list WVU. So Western University didn't qualify because they said we don't rank professionals. In terms of the top five, <laughs> I don't rank Cavender's coming because we don't rank professionals like this thing. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> honestly, like it probably doesn't deserve to be on my worst list, but it didn't feel like a Twilight Zone episode. Mm -hmm. Um, it just it felt off the entire time. It felt cheap. Even stuff like the the heaven set with them in space in the doorway, which is something that in theory could be a little bit charming, just comes off as shoddy. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, who was it that played Cavender? Jesse White. Uh, yeah. Uh, his performance, again, much like uh, 
uh, Frisbee, <laughs> the previous episode we were talking about, uh, it comes off as grating. Uh, and it's unfortunate because Carol Burnett is a great uh, comedian, great actress. Um, I am a fan of her. And I mean, this is one that I probably could have dropped on my frustrating list, too, because it's always it, it always feels like a shame when they get these great celebrities or great actors, great performers in here and just drop the ball with them. But even even Serling, as we discussed on the episode, came out. And said it was unfortunate that this was the output that they finally had for her. <laughs> no, I completely agree. So, yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, again, the comedy just not working for me on the Twilight Zone. Even the bus driver jumping out the window? Like, uh, which. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love people flying out windows in the Twilight Zone, again, it just, it didn't feel like. It didn't feel like the series. So did you, I don't know if you saw Odd. on our Facebook page that uh, El Goro of the, of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast asked for a gif of that and I made it for him. So there is a gif out there <laughs> of the bus driver jumping out the window. So, so like without context, it's amazing. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's great. And it, it, it is amazing. But it doesn't feel like it belongs it, in this episode. It's so wrong and it's just dead on arrival. And I feel like we did... We, we did our due diligence covering it and we kind of, we, you know, it, it's literally beating a dead horse, which is what we do here on the show. Um, so it, it's odd that it ended up my bottom, my bottom five, because like it, I just, I had like, other than watching it the first time when I was like super drunk saying this is a nightmare, like it didn't affect me. It didn't burn me up like the other ones on my list. So it didn't, not because it's not deserving because it really is. I feel like it exists in its own bubble and should just be like, ah, that was weird. <laughs> so everything yeah. you're saying is absolutely right, but it wasn't on my bottom vibe just because it did, it didn't exist in my mind in any other fashion. Yeah. I just, it's one that I'm going to completely forget about by the time we get to yeah. season five of the series. And that's, I, I think I've said it before on the show. That's always something that frustrates me and angers me more than anything is when something is just so painfully mediocre that yeah. it becomes forgettable. Um, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather something that was going for something new or interesting, uh, over just a repeat of a TV show pilot that he did back in season one. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, like it's, 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 it's not that it's even something like overdone. It's just something that he recycled within the series. So it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's it's frustrating and terrible at the same time. So I had to I had to pick a list to put it on, and it fell onto the the worst of the series for this. I'm I'm sure that's what people refer to me as is frustrating and terrible at the same time. I'm sure that's <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. So that was my number three. Was uh, sorry, not not Cavender's coming, but Hocus Pocus from Frisbee, which we talked about. So what's your number three for your bottom five? Uh, I already did three of those. Cavender's coming. Um, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're down to two. We have uh, the gift. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, all around probably one of the sloppiest episodes <laughs> we've seen of the Twilight Zone. Really heaven. Uh, heaven. Uh, that was a that was a slip there. Um, really heavy handed al religious allegories. Um, terrible child performance in it. Yeah. Just uh, around uh, across the board. Just awful episode. Probably. 
Uh, I would put this in my top five of all seasons. <laughs> oh, this uh, would be great when we get to the end of the series and kind of go through this. This will be, uh, <laughs> yeah. there'll be some rare air there with what we consider the worst. <laughs> yeah. Like the only good thing I can say about the gift is I like the fact that you could see the stars through his window oh, in I, the set of the bedroom. I like, thought, I thought you were going like to say that your favorite positive. part is that we called uh, the, the, the visitor Jesus Williams. I thought you were going to say that was your favorite part of all that. <laughs> Well, about our discussion of it for sure, but um, as far as the actual production of the episode, that that's all I really enjoyed yeah. out of it. It wasn't good. Um, it's weird that uh, for the most part, I was indifferent. Like I was like, "This isn't great," but at least it told a whole story as, as heavy-handed. Like it is the heaviest hands in the world, just punching so hard. I just kind of left it like, all right, well, we've, okay, we get it. We get it. That's space Jesus. And the, the cure for cancer has been burned up by the locals because they couldn't know any better. Um, yeah, I agree. It just wasn't great. It just, it didn't make my bottom five, which is, which is amazing because as I was trying to like figure all this out, there were so many contenders to crowd the bottom five. And I hate that I have to admit that, but it's the truth. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe this one bothered me just because it was, uh, very religious or something. Yeah. It just felt kind of preachy. And like we said, heavy handed. <laughs> so it, it just, it rubbed me the wrong way and it still continues to rub me the wrong way. So I had to, <laughs> I had to drop it this, this low or high, um, however you want to uh, consider it on the list here, but it's a gift now for us to talk about it. So yeah. All right. <laughs> like, like a wine bottle to the back of the head. It was sudden and inappropriate. So, you know, I also like the first shot of that episode. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, <laughs> that was so. There, there were two positives, and I like that after they talk about the monster that's wandering around, Sterling walks in like behind the curtain, and he starts talking, and it's like, is he the monster? I don't know. Um, I should have put in my notes here what our favorite Sterling intro is. I'm sure we could talk about that in a second. Well, um, that, I think we've already talked about that episode. But, well, but was it Cavender's coming with him walking through the mirror? Was that your favorite one of the season? Yeah, I really like the okay. the mirror. But what about what about um uh oh shoot um nothing in the dark where he's looking in the mirror and it just it cuts to him like could be him talking back to the camera after he looks in the mirror. That, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it was um, a good one too. But I really liked him stepping out of the mirror yeah. with Cavender. My my favorite intro that didn't happen was him being in the display case of the trade ins and, and talking. That that was the one that should have happened, oh, but it didn't happen. Yeah, that's that's yeah. frustrating. I'm you know I'm going to move the trade ins on my frustrating <laughs> list because of because that. Because of Sterling, <laughs> yeah. So okay, so that was um, was that your number two? You said was uh, the gift. Yes. Um, okay, yeah. so my number two, surprising nobody, is four o'clock. That just, I, I hate this episode with the fiery passions of like multiple suns that the earth is tipping into right now. I just despise this episode. There is one wonderful moment that has come out of it, like adjacent <laughs> to the episode. It just, it repeats itself over and over again. The character's not likable and the ending is just stupid. That that's where I'm at with that. Yeah. I, this isn't going to be on any of my lists. This is one of the ones that's just okay in my books. Like I thought, I thought his portrayal of the character was kind of interesting, um, and I like the lived-in set that he has. Um, obviously, the Rod Birdling thing that you're alert, <laughs> alluding to is amazing. Yeah. Um, and again, thanks and to, it, to Steve for drawing uh, Rod Birdling, uh, Steve King of the Science Slasher in, in the show, other show I do. He did an amazing uh, take on Rod Birdling that elevates this episode. Unfortunately. 
Yeah, and yeah. I, I want to thank uh, listener yeah, Nick, Nick as well. He's, he did he's done some really amazing. Funny one on my favorite Instagram one as well. My favorite one was just the bird with the cigarette in its mouth. He just ends up like draw. He like did like like a um, MS Paint like like a uh, uh, suit and tie on the bird and wrote science yeah. or something. <laughs> on there. It was amazing. I loved it. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, I, that moment was uh, great in our conversation in the episode. So I'll, I, maybe I'll remember that episode more fondly because of that. But it's it's at least an episode I think I could come back to or recall pretty quickly. So I I, I got to give it something for that. So um, that's just going to kind of sit in the middle for me. It's not going to show up on any of my lists. Okay, I uh, just agree or disagree. It's it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. So, all right. So, what, <laughs> what, what, what is your number two? Um, my number one. Sorry, um, what what's wrong with me? What, what? So, what is your number one? Sorry, please. My number one worst episode, and I think we might be in line on this because it hasn't popped up on yours either. Uh, is the Hunt season three episode nineteen? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Uh, yeah, it's it, yeah. I it just uh, yeah, this one. It just, it is so saccharine, sweet, and aw shucks that it just, it pisses me off the entire time. And uh, was it uh, Hyder? Uh, Hyder Simpson was the main character, right? I forget the actor's name. Yeah, Hyder Simpson. Uh, Arthur Honeycutt. Yeah, uh, Mr. Honeycutt. I don't blame him, but I do I do find out with, with Hamner. Hamner? I just got to shake my fist at him. <laughs> When we find out that this is kind of like the backbone to, um, what was it? Uh, oh shoot. What's the name of that, that show, the pioneer show with, um, the Waltons, uh, when we yeah. find out this is his like dry run at that, it makes sense. And the fact that he was upset at Honeycutt's performance of this being like more G whiz as opposed to like comedic, like I get that, but like, it just, it just, this whole thing just, just drove me nuts. The best performer in this episode was the raccoon. Yeah, and uh, the dog was good too. Well, let's, I mean, it's a dog. I mean, yeah, we, yeah. Sorry, <clears throat> dog. Uh, the dog yeah, was the dog. Uh, the dog was which I have continued to <laughs> pronounce that word since oh, our conversation on that episode yeah. as dog. Yeah. Uh, since then, but yeah, I, I mean, thankfully, Arthur Honeycutt played it the way he did um, because it, it, there was a shed of a, a tiny little shred of honesty to his performance that otherwise this would have been like completely unwatchable, but it's, it's still terrible. Um, this, uh, this is just something I'm not interested in this story. Like I, I don't like this purgatory situation. I don't like how nice it is. Um, there are moments where you think it could be taking a darker turn and it doesn't. And it's just, and it ends up exactly where you expect it to at the end. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's just pointless and terrible. <laughs> like I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Cause there's, I feel like there's barely anything there in this episode. It's like, funny I to can't me. Re- I can't remember a single frame outside of the raccoon, <laughs> but like a single frame, a single shot from this episode. I just, all I can picture is a dirt road and trees. <laughs> like that's all that pops into my head for this. And, and, and the just tree, like the trees acted flat, better. Yeah. Stale lighting. Um, just, just an ugly episode. And, you know, we've talked about episodes being ahead of their time on this series. Um, uh, this feels 
late to the game. This feels like <laughs> something that should have come out 10 years previous on TV. This uh, feels like something that would be done now at like like a Christian like homeschool, which that's not even a thing <laughs> where it's like, we're going to have all the houses get together and do a, like a telling of the hunt, you know? Yeah, like, this is like Catholic school uh, substitute teacher uh, TV this, viewing. This is this like, vacation this Bible on. school theming where it's like, we're going to go on a hunt with our, with our dog and sorry, our dog. And that rascally raccoon is the agent of Satan or whatever. Um, <laughs> no, my favorite part of the episode, aside from me, you know, like uh, just bleeding out about how I feel about accents. That was, uh, that was wrong. Uh, it was uh, me uh, like um, censoring uh, the, the, the mother of the episode where she said the word lit and I've censored it out because she's like, and a bird lit on the side of your bed. And I made it to sound like <laughs> a bird shit on the side of your bed. That was my favorite part of that episode was uh, to surprise you with that unintentional censoring. So that was my favorite part of that episode. But yeah, this thing could go, unfortunately go drown in a, a, a crick. You know, it's just, it, it just, it is just, yeah, it's not, it's not good. And it's, it's up there with like something I never want to watch again with the series. And yeah, and you know um, yeah. what's crazy? I have the IMDb pulled up. This is sitting at an 8.1 out of 10. 8.1? No. What? No. I disagree. No, no. That is. Yeah, this has a higher rating than Kick the Can. Which, I don't know if that's in any of your list. Kick the Can was was a wonderful little episode. And yeah. that was that was the last George Clayton Johnson episode, right? Yeah, um, yeah. As much as that uh, one was a little weird and you had the guy dancing in the sprinkler and everyone's like, he's going to drown or whatever they said. Like that at least had a point and it had some heart to it. And the hunt just felt like you, it had heart, but it's just that kind of, it's that right. Thomas Kincaid heart, you know, that I don't like. Yeah. So the hunt has a higher rating than the dummy. I'm done with yeah. life. I'm done. Yeah. This, this, is, this here, is why I don't take this, IMDb rating seriously or here, 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 any here. of those types. I, I, I'll give that, I'll give it to this. That's how I feel about that. That's a weird sleep noise from the time element. I don't agree with that at all. Um, so, all right. So we, we're done yep. with our, our bottom five. Let's get into some fallout from the season, then we'll get into our most frustrating five. So, <clears throat> all right, here's uh, – I do some reading, so bear with me. Uh, in the spring of 62, the Twilight Zone was late in finding a sponsor for the fourth season. As a result, CB Pro, CB, CBS programmed a new show, Fair Exchange, in its time slot for the fall. Uh, suddenly, without prior warning, the Twilight Zone was off the air. Serling's agent frantically attempted to work out some kind of deal with CBS so the series could remain on television. Meanwhile, Buck Houghton found himself without a job. At the same time, he received a very attractive offer from Four Star Productions. This is a quote from him. During the last year, at least, and maybe before that, he recalls, there were people that wanted me to work with them, and they were constantly saying, you can't tie your career to Rod's kite. Pretty soon, you'll only be known as the producer of Rod Serling material. And I said, no, I produced a lot of material before I ever met Rod, but there were pressures to pull me away from there. And I knew those pressures arose from the excellence of the Twilight Zone, which in turn depended upon Rod. So I thought, the hell with that. I'll stick with them. And indeed I did right up until that came to the position of fish or cut bait, where I was really faced with the prospect of within a month, turning down the four star deal and then having the twilight zone not renewed and losing both. Wasn't a choice I could, uh, consensually or, uh, consciously face myself with. So he accepted the position with four star. Eventually CBS decided to renew the twilight zone, but a different format, 18 episodes of the series were ordered each an hour in length to begin in January 63 and mid season replacement at the recommendation of Sterling and Houghton 
CBS hired producer Herbert Hirschman to supervise these shows. So we'll talk about him being a production uh, behind the scenes here. It just bums me out because we've had a lot of wonderful Buck Houghton stories to talk about during the production of the first three seasons. And he really, really felt like he was in lockstep with Serling through all of this. Yeah, especially with having like a writer forward show. Yeah. And uh, kind of... For, for the most part, letting them get free reign outside of like budget and everything, um, really giving him the go ahead on some revolutionary ideas for the show. So you got to give him credit. I'll be sad to see him go. And uh, from what I from what I know about seasons four and five, there's definitely a different feel going forward without him. Yeah, there was a thing. There was a longer bit in the books that I was reading from my, my resource materials where Sterling talked about how in the first couple seasons, like after they got done filming, they would all end up at like a bar in like the middle of the night, like discussing things and having like that moment of like, you know, everything's possible. After after season three, that didn't happen. So Sterling was still involved, but writing scripts and. Uh, I'm sad to say that I that he doesn't do his intros like in the terms of what we know. Like there's a lot of just cutaways to him behind like a great with a gray background talking to the yeah. camera. So yeah, there's a lot of what made what we love stripped away. I mean, I understand to a degree, and we'll get to season four, which I I don't think I've seen any of the episodes of season four. Yeah, I I think I'm in the same boat. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a thing where we don't know where I don't know. I just like. We got Sterling at his uh, most strung out, and there's been some there's been some great moments, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But it's almost it's almost heartbreaking to realize that he is attached to this, not name only, but he's much, he's a little bit more distant with what's coming. But at the same time, I know in season five, which we're not going to be there for a while, there's some high points there too. So I don't know, maybe maybe stepping away maybe gives other people the opportunity to step in. Yeah. We'll yeah, and I have heard some people talk about season four as being kind of an underrated season. So there, there might be some gems in there. We Maybe don't know. we get Burt Reynolds at the end, so we'll we'll get there. We get there. So yeah, all right. So uh, before we get to our top five, let's get to our most frustrating five meeting episodes that we felt had potential, and we were just frustrated and we wanted better from them. I feel like that's very appropriate for the season. Uh, so I'll I'll start with my my uh, fifth choice here, which is. Showdown with Rance McGrew, which I know you're much more forgiving of. It was a good premise and there was some good comedy in it, but it gets a little twisted halfway through and I feel like it kind of loses it loses itself. Yeah, I, I thought it was a fun time, though. It's definitely one that's a breezy watch for me. I could see myself putting it back on again. Um, yeah, I, I do see it. I do see what you're saying at the end. Um, it does kind of lose some steam there, but. Yeah, I, I think I'm a much bigger fan of that episode than you were. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's funny because, like, the guy who directed this was, uh, uh, oh, his last name was uh, Nibby, but we kept calling him Nibby. Um, oh, yeah. And it was like Charles Nibby. Charles was, Nibby. Yeah. And, like, the beginning when you got, when you got McGrew, like, there's the whole intro, the whole intro of the Cadillac, or sorry, the convertible with, like, the steer horns just driving down, like, the, like, the Western Street. Like Christian that, Nibby. Christian sorry. Nibby. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Protestant Nibby. Uh, you know, um, unorthodox Nibby. Uh, but does he just when you have that opening shot of this, like this, this car with like steer horns coming down and you think you're getting a Western and it's it's Lan- Lance. Sorry. Rance McGrew showing up. I was expecting like something that was kind of like, you know, off kilter. And it, it gives me that to a degree. But 
when you finally get to what's going on with him doing the whole shift from he's being on a set to being in the old West, but with a Jesse James that knows what's going on and can understand, like, like there's this weird kind of meta thing going on. I feel like you're already more than halfway through the episode. And by that point, you got to do a lot of hand waving to get to the end. And I feel like there was a good idea here and some fun to be had, but it's just so rushed at the end that none of it was earned. Yeah. That that might be one of the only comedy episodes that didn't end up on my uh, bottom five list throughout the season, the whole series. Yeah, it's fair. So yeah. but I just I was but frustrated with. I don't it. know. I was I was kind of okay for some reason with the hand waving to get to the end of it because I I had a fun time watching it. Yeah. So what's uh, your what's your number five most frustrating episode? My number five is person or persons unknown. <laughs> um, which is great because it's not in my list, which is surprising because that's also a frustrating episode. Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of a good idea in there. And the fact that Charles Beaumont, I'm always I'm holding him up on a little bit of a higher standard. So the fact that it doesn't totally deliver is frustrating just on that front. And we have John Bram directing it, um, who has steered us pretty steadily throughout the other episodes he's done. Um, but there are some massive plot holes in the episode. It rushes through and, uh, really has no impact when you finally get to the end there. They have the twist of having, uh, the other Wilma in the, in the (laughs) room and everything. Um, but it just, Again, it's just no impact. And I think there's a good idea. And it's it's a terrifying situation to be in, to think you're someone and no one recognizes you. Um, it's a great idea. And I usually love the loss of identity episodes that Twilight Zone does. But for some reason, this one just frustrated me. And I, I wanted more. But I think a lot of that comes from uh, holding Charles Beaumont up to a higher standard. I mean, but at least she had somebody jumping through a window unexpectedly. And then yes. we, we got like a firm confirmation of Robert McCord as man eating apple on steps. So we got yeah. to see him. But yeah. The, and again, the, like I, di- I didn't hate the episode. Yeah. Um, it just I, I wanted something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I wanted something that was a little bit uh, tighter as far as the teleplay. Something maybe a little bit more stylish. And um, because imagine this episode of the mystery and uh, the terror of no one recognizing you and trying to convince people who you are with more of like a film noir setting or something. Um, I I, I think this that would have went a long way for this one. So I just like good ideas in there. Uh, Nothing entirely too original, but um just really didn't deliver for me. Yeah, we we will keep missing Douglas Hayes, I'm sure, through the rest of this this uh, series. So yes, yeah, but I really yeah. like John Bram. Like no, that, he's that's, good, yeah. that's one of my top directors for the series. Um, so getting John Bram and Charles Beaumont together, I really thought that this was going to be something special, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. So I was <laughs> frustrated. <laughs> All right, so my number four most fr- frustrating episode was Little People, um, because <laughs> interesting enough idea. You know, like it's sci-fi kind of weird, but, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who ends up like stomping around and yelling at all the, like the little people, um, like it's, it's so ridiculous and so short sighted for somebody that believes himself to be a God in front of these tiny people. That is ridiculous. Um, and also the sense of scale keeps like snapping back and forth, which I know it's, it's, it's 1962. Like I can forgive that to a degree, 
Yeah, um, but it's something that sticks in your brain. Like yeah. when you think back to that episode, yeah. those things are glaring. And him just like saying that he used math and stuff to like be able to communicate <laughs> with everybody. It's like, and then at the end, whenever, um, you know, um, the guy from uh, Monsters to Maple Street leaves, uh, he's just like, all right, we're going to do the statue again. And he's just yelling at all of them. Like, it's so... It, it like there's there are the bones of a good idea in here, and clearly it's something that's kind of resonated because we talked about during that episode how it was referenced in the Treehouse of Terror, and the idea of even Rick and Morty, which we talked about as well, where it's like you can lord over somebody smaller than yourself, but then there always can be someone bigger than you out there to crush you. Which, given this episode, the way that that character goes out is amazing, but the whole episode just was very frustrating to me. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought the episode was just okay, but uh, Joe Maross, who plays I think yeah. Peter Craig, is the one stomping around Navigator Peter Craig. Um, his performance is so over the top and so funny um, that it, I I I don't know. It it didn't frustrate <laughs> me as much. It was it was it was a good time. It's a breezy episode. Yeah. Um. So all right. So what's your number four most frustrating? Uh, my number four is to serve man, <laughs> which, uh, um, yeah. this is one of the highest rated episodes of the season. So that's why I'm going to be a little bit harsher on this episode because I was expecting one of the greats Yeah, and what we got was kind of a mess. Yes. And it, it's a fun mess. Like I, it, it's definitely something I would go back and watch again. Uh, if if there's a Twilight Zone marathon that's on, I'm definitely going to keep it on. Like, it's great. And I love, uh, um, oh, my God, Richard Keel, uh, yeah. like, as the alien and everything like that. That's fun. But just the production of the episode is so sloppy with the uh, montages and the voiceover of Richard Keel and just how haphazardly they go from scene to scene and get to the twist. It just, it just feels pieced together, which I mean, not great. <laughs> rightfully so, because we talked about how this whole thing kind of got distended, right. And like, yeah, changed yeah. in post-production and all that. Uh, my favorite part of the episode is citizen Gregory taking a, a pencil and putting his lip and just kind of like pulling his lip out while these like, it's like you have an alien being like, it's significant. Like, like intelligence is greater than yours and you do not care. You're bored out of your mind. I thought that was fun. But yeah, yeah, this was one of those things where it's like you, like the ending of it's a cookbook. Like everybody, it is so, it's a, it's a great twist. It's like a great it's twist. fun. It is a great twist, but like everything leading up to it is just kind of like, Oh, like, um, and I know we've been challenged to end up watching, um, I believe for the Patreon, uh, one of the, one of the picks, uh, is going to make you watch the Trios of terror called hunger of the damned. I think that's one of the ones we're talking about, which reference this episode. And you're going to watch that like 15 minutes and be like, oh, this is much, handled much better with the Simpsons than it was with <laughs> the Twilight Zone. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just the, it, the the twist of this is one of those things. And again, like I mentioned during when we were talking about that episode, that my my one book I reference here, The Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr. The middle image of the three is the canimate of Richard Keel. And it never occurred to me. So it's actually on the cover of the book. Like it's one yeah. of those things that's so iconic. And then watching this, you're just like, really, this is the thing. Like, the, the, like I, I feel yeah, like I it's feel just such a memorable twist that I think it, it's stuck in people's heads from the first time they saw it. And I, I don't blame people. Like no, it's, it's a good twist. He's, and his makeup job and everything. 
is memorable. Like Richard Keel is definitely a memorable person. So, um, like I, I understand how it's stuck in people's heads, but I think if you go back and rewatch this thing, it doesn't hold up. And, um, it, you can see the production problems. You can see the seams of this episode coming apart as you're watching it. I mean, I feel Um, like something like, and this is not the season, but like season two, like the silence, where the guy, you know, like bet, like you know, that he could stay quiet for a year because his vocal cords should be much more in the people's minds. Like I feel like that's something that's not really, like, yeah. present. But I feel like that's much more devastating than. I mean, I get that, like, oh, the world's going to be a, like you know cooked up for these aliens or whatever, and that's that's messed up. But like, that's like I when we watched that episode, like that's something that's not really ever mentioned ever, and this is the one that's held up and. It's bizarre because it's not that great of an episode. It's unfortunate. There's a great idea in here, and that's about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's definitely in the top twists of the series. And For sure. If if you're just kind of thinking about Twilight Zone as that gimmick of the you know the twist show, <laughs> um, that's uh, this is one of the ones that's definitely going to pop into your head. So I th- I think just based on that alone, people remember it because it's such a quick. Uh, jarring line at the end of the episode that you'll never forget it. That should be so. the name of our podcast from now on the twist show where we talk about the twilight zone and chubby checker. That should be the name. Like that should be it. So, all right. <laughs> so my number three um, was I sing the body electric uh, again, interesting potential for something. You had Ray Bradbury. I just, it is just, it is just something that it barrels through. Like there is haunting imagery in the episode, but not intentional. Like it's just something that's kind of yeah, and they don't linger on it. Like no, it's, it's no. almost like they didn't even realize that it was haunting imagery. Like it's the st- like, it's the stuff of nightmares when they go into yeah, the show. This is whimsical. <laughs> this is fun. It's like no, this is straight up terror. Yeah, but when you got the grandmother, you know, showing up with like she's full of string and and brown aggies or whatever and turnkeys. It just, it, the whole thing is just frustrating because like, not that I'm saying like the potential for the episode could have been great, but it's frustrating because of with Radbury writing the script and Serling being like, you know, we, which we talked about, like he was kind of at the point of like, I didn't like the script two times before, but based upon what we know, like good enough and that good enough should not be. Um, the standard for the twilight zone. And this thing just, it was, it was just rough from the get go and yeah, not enjoyable. And good enough should not, you should not be saying that about an episode with a collaboration between Ray Bradbury and Rod Serling. Yeah. So like it, that's, I, I feel like I'm going to sound like a broken record through the next couple episodes here because it is a lot of misuse of talent. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of my frustrating, moments came from the season yeah so this one was just frustrating from the get-go because like i had not seen it before and I, as we talked about I, I believe i'd seen the electric grandmother because like which was the uh nbc like made for tv like like movie i don't know what you'd call that like one hour thing yeah. um and that was like i remember like thinking it was okay at the time maybe i didn't know any better but i'm sure it's still probably handled better than this uh, yeah, just, I'd yeah. be interested to check that out. We gotta, we gotta keep that on the yeah. short list. Yeah. So it just, it was one of those things where it's like everybody behind it, and just the, like the lineage behind this should have been something like bigger, and it wasn't, and that what was frustrating about it for me. Yeah. yeah. So my number three is one that you've already talked about on your worst list. It's one more Paul Bear. 
Um, again, a misuse of great actor. Um, oh, the teacher, and, the teacher in that, right? The one that you liked so much that was like dressing uh, down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what it was. Uh, Joseph Wiseman, Doctor No. Oh. Uh, so excited to get to that episode. I was I was counting down when I saw this was coming, and just based on some of the amazing imagery in the episode and his underground lair, which I'm a sucker for. I love that, um, and even the synopsis sounded really fun. Yeah, you get to it and. It's just dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is dumb. It, it was dumb. so frustrating yeah. because it looked like this might be one of my visually one of my favorite episodes of the season. Um, but the story is so shallow and uh, it, it really doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> and it, it's, But like I enjoy it based on having Dr. No and his kind of stiff performance and having the, such a cool underground lair bomb shelter thing. Um, but yeah, I wish, I wish this episode would have went further. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it, it just, it leads you up to this moment where you think something great is going to happen or you think there's going to be a bigger twist and there isn't. I just, um, I, I still kind of wish it leaves, it leaves something to be desired. And I, I just, I want darker at the end of this one. Like the ending would have been better had the beginning not given away the ghost that he was setting up like a basically yeah, like a practical yeah. joke. You know, like that would have been better had the three people involved believed this was actually happening, which they did. But and we would have believed it yes, was happening. That, that, I feel like it, that would it would have been the old Hitchcock thing yeah. where it's just like it, you know, you you let who needs to be in on it, in on it, and you leave people out that don't know about it and you're able to create suspense with it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's no suspense cause you're just literally watching someone play a p- practical joke for 20 minutes. And it, it's, there is a fun idea in there. It's just not carried through. Yeah. So, yep. um, my number two, we've, we've just talked about it was to serve man. Like it just, it just frustrated me. Yeah. So we don't need to get into that. So what's your number two for most frustrating? Uh, my number two is the grave. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, this should have been my favorite episode of the series of all time, uh, right? Yes. Yeah. Of, of, of all time. Uh, Lee Marvin, uh, Lee Van Cleef, James Best, Struther Martin, like incredible cast of, uh, Western actors and just tough guy actors and, uh, Western horror twilight zone episode like this should be one of my favorite moments of television, <laughs> like not only Twilight Zone, and uh, it's it's just okay, and just for that waste of talent, I put this on my frustrating list. That, that's, like that's some fair, cool yeah. imagery and everything. It's just such a nothing of a story. <laughs> I you know like yeah, I I just wish there was something more to this. I, I agree. Um, the more I think about it, though, like the more um, the sister and the episode, the one that was like drinking the entire time and like, you know, bringing, um, you know, her her dead brother, his favorite plate to his grave or whatever. Um, her off kilter performance might may just be because she doesn't know how to act because we talked about that a little bit. It's very off putting and just her kind of laughing at everything going on or she's like look at my dress the wind's blowing not the right way after leaving cleef gives us like ncis like you know explanation of how it could happen it's so abrupt and it wasn't needed with him explaining what could have occurred but 
the like this the the weird lumpy graveyard and Lee Marvin like being like this like this like paper tiger of a tough guy. There's a lot there that I like, and I agree with you. It's frustrating, but I will put it closer to the middle because at least and and actually we we found out that this episode was produced during season two, so yeah. um, this one and um, uh, nothing in the dark. Um, but there there's enough character there that. I forgave a lot of it, but you're right. The ending is just kind of lackluster, but there's so much about it that I like that. I, it's frustrating, but it kind of outweighs like the frustrating part that I, en- I enjoy it in hindsight. Maybe, maybe in our discussion, that feels a little weird that it's set with me better after talking about it. Yeah. And again, like I still enjoy this episode. Yeah. Like it's, it looks fantastic again, much like one more ball bear, um, definitely up there as far as cinematography and set design and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I just, I was, I was so bummed out that I didn't come away from this just having my socks blown off from it. Yeah. So it just with that cast of character actors. Yeah. Cause we all know that Lee Marvin and Lee Van Cleef, they need to be in everything. So that's the truth. So they should. Yeah. And speaking of James best. So my number one, most frustrating episode of the season is the last rights of Jeff Myrtle bank. Cause this thing teetered towards amazing and haunting. And then it would just pull right back and be dumb as dirt. Like it was very yeah. frustrating because there was such a great premise and then it would have like this like weird music cues and moments. And then it would just get stupid. Like it was like, this thing could have been just like the home run from the get go. And it's not. And like, there's just so much here on the table that they don't address. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, this is one, like, um, I had to do a full refresh and read through a synopsis, like a full synopsis of this. Cause I, it was one of those ones I completely forgot about, <laughs> <laughs> which is also uh, Montgomery Pittman directed and wrote this episode who yeah. did the grave as well. So uh, something to be said for frustrating episodes in <laughs> Montgomery Pittman. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought the episode was okay. I, I wasn't really frustrated with it. I didn't love it. Didn't hate it. I just uh, kind of forgettable for me. Okay, I but there was the kid that pees pants earlier on. We have questions about that, um, <laughs> but no, there's the bit where he's just in like the the chapel and he just like opens up like the coffin and just rises up and you hear the music, and then the whole thing just kind of pisses away itself the entire time. Which I just mentioned the kid peeing his pants, which I feel like is appropriate for this episode. <laughs> yeah, and then um, what was it? Comfort was her name. Like she's like, I'm a fickle woman. It's like. God damn it. Like there's this, the, 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 everything about this was like, you could have done a much more engaging story. And then there's the thing with, um, Oh, what was it? Um, what was the name of the brother? Ogrim or some garbage that was comfort's brother. Yeah. Or, Ogrim. Yeah, Ogrim. And they have that, that weird fight outside where they're like involved in like a tire swing. I don't know. It's just, it just, there was so much here that could have been great. And then there's the, the, the freaking general store. Everyone's like, I think he's a demon. And they all run out in the one truck in the town and confront him. Like it was just, yeah, it could have been something, but it wasn't. So that was my most frustrating of the season. Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't jump in on that one more. I honestly like that episode is a weird blank spot for me. Like I remember <laughs> moments from it. But like it was just so mediocre for me. I just I honestly thought that that would be the thing I would like like hit the bullseye on was most frustrating was this episode for both of us. But what is uh, uh, what is your number one most frustrating episode of the season? Um, again, a misuse of 
uh, uh, talent. It is icing the body electric. <laughs> uh, Ray Bradbury. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just uh, we're looking forward to getting to the Ray Bradbury collaboration with the Twilight Zone. And it just feels like interesting ideas. Uh, the production values, uh, everything just they kind of drop the ball with it. Yeah. And um, it, it could be great. And I could definitely see the story being uh, turned into something else and being pretty great. And it, it has. I don't know if any of those adaptations are any good, um, but this one is is not great. Well, I mean, and it should be. When, when James Cameron uh, redid his take on it called The Terminator, I thought that was pretty interesting. So, like, that was, <laughs> um, yeah. If only they had Arnold in the grandmother, grandmother clothes. Role. That would like, have been great. Like, like a combination of Junior and The Terminator. That'd, that'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So, okay. Um, let's just get on to the, the cream of the crop, the top five, which this, this was um, – a little harder than I thought it would be because like, as I know, I know I was a little bit more harsh in the second half of the season. And my, our goal with this whole thing was to never drag stuff into the dirt, but it didn't make it easy like towards the end of this. Like there's episodes, like you mentioned the gift. It was, it was middling for me, but you didn't like that. Um, uh, what was it? Um, the fugitive was an okay episode, but you're like, come on, we could, we could do more better than this. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but so it's, it's funny that like most of my uh, top five is in the earlier part of the season and not much in the second half, which based upon what we know seems appropriate. So, um, yeah. So of my top five, number five is the dummy. That was a breath of fresh air towards the end of the season. Uh, it was creepy and weird and it had a hammer of an ending and I enjoyed the return of Dutch angles. Like it felt like a season one episode and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Um, my number five is one that was very memorable for me. It was one I had seen previously. It's uh season three, episode 10 midnight sun. Oh, okay. Uh, I debated that one too, but it's not my top five. So yeah, yeah I, I had that. And uh, I'll bring it up on my runners up again, but I was debating between Midnight Sun and two for my number five spot because I also really enjoyed two with uh, Charles Bronson and Elizabeth Montgomery. But Midnight Sun is one I've seen probably like three or four times now, and it it still holds up every time I watch it. Um, The performance from I should have her name here. The main Um, actress. Yeah. We, uh, we, we crushed on her when we talked about the episode. Louise, uh, uh, Lois Nettleton, yeah. uh, who plays Norma. Um, her performance is so believable, um, so vulnerable, and just uh, it, it really puts you into the situation. And it's so frightening. Um, I, I was just, uh, it, it was nice. And it, it was nice to see we had a couple post-apocalyptic episodes this in season three, and it was nice to see something so realized as this episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, everything good. with her paintings and the exploding uh, thermometers, and there's just there's some images in this episode that I will never forget. And I, I think a lot of it uh, comes, especially with her just screaming and just drenched with sweat and everything. Like I think a lot of it comes from her performance. No, that was a good one, and and the music in that too was good. And when we found out yeah. that yeah, for the, sure the, the the canvases that were being used for the film were actually done in wax, so you had really cool like melted 
uh, imagery. Like, no, it, it was a really good episode. It's just, uh, um, I don't know. Like, it wasn't in my top five, but it doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it a great deal. And and I ended yeah. up uh, revealing my own um, frustrations of living in a house during midsummer with no power. While we talked about that episode, <laughs> and I was struggling <laughs> to sleep with no no air conditioning <laughs> and no fan, and that was not nearly the ordeal that they dealt with in this episode, but kind of the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I did like it a great deal. Um, yep. So yeah, uh, my number four. And this surprised me was a game of pool with uh, oh, wow. with Jack Klugman and Jonathan Winter because when when you when I went back and looked over the season as much as I enjoyed this episode it's like you get to the tail end and it's like where is this like big strong strong characters going against each other this is one of them and going back and thinking about their back and forth and their positions and just like Klugman brings it every time he's been on the Twilight Zone we've liked him a great deal um, but Jonathan Winter is like a revel- revelation like for me watching this and it was a simple story, but I really, really enjoyed it. And the, the more I thought about it, I liked this episode a great deal. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun episode. It's not going to be on my top list, but it's definitely uh, one of the better ones. Maybe if I understood how pool worked, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this would end up in my top five, but yeah. a lot of the, uh, the tension was lost on me, I guess. Yeah. Well, someone was scoring more pool points than the other. That's what you need to know. From that's that. <laughs> that's about all I picked up. Yeah. So that was my number four. Cool. My number four is five characters in search of an exit. Season three, episode fourteen. Um, very weird Twilight Zone episode. Quite possibly the strangest episode we've seen in all three seasons. But I felt like this was this is an episode I would show somebody just to show like how well the twilight zone can set up a camera in one location with just a couple actors, um, and capture something like this, like make it interesting visually and just have strong writing throughout carry the episode. Yeah. It just felt like this is, this is one of the top twilight zone episodes as far as, uh, teleplay. And I, I think there was great ideas about, um, being a writer or being creative and having these ideas in your head, trying to get them out and trying to have them realized and everything. Um, and there's a lot of cool influences from like operas and stuff dragged into it. Um, and just the striking imagery of having the clown, um, having the military major and the ballerina, the tramp and, uh, the bagpiper, (laughs) bagpiper. like having such, having such stark differences from character to character and setting them in just a plain white room was so compelling. Um, I just, I absolutely love this one and even the twist, um, for as kind of goofy as it is, uh, having this as the Christmas episode that that aired right around (laughs) Christmas, having them find out that they're dolls or having us find out that they're dolls in a toy donation bin, uh, is such a weird, dark take on a Christmas episode. And I love that. Well, and then having the, the, the bodies piled at the end where they're actually, we find out they're actually dummies made for the episode. And you see the, like the tears coming out of the eyes, the ballerina and there's the whole dialogue. There's the dialogue of her. Basically, she's basically spelling out the entire episode in front of everybody else because they all have, like the theories of what's going on, a lot of stuff that's like pitched is things we've seen on the Twilight Zone before. It's it's it is surreal, 
but it is nightmarish and it still makes you feel grounded because these are characters that don't know what's going on, but they can identify like a couple like bits of reality to them. Like in the clown, we talked about the, that, that actor and his performance and how like he's amazing in this. And he has some of the best comedy bits in it too. When he's like, you know, singing along when the major's pounding against the wall and the major <laughs> yeah. looks at him and they just stop singing for a second. Like there is some <laughs> great moments in this. And I think also during our discussion, we, we discussed what would be the worst instrument to be stuck with. And uh, we, the bagpipe was number one up there, but we mentioned a number of other things too, like a recorder, I believe is what we also mentioned <laughs> and some, and, and some other things would be the worst uh, instrument to be stuck with. I, I like this because it is, it is so removed from reality that I feel like it's kind of ageless. Like in terms of like, you have everybody there, all five of them, they all have a, like their own character identity and you can still relate to each of them when you watch it now, but it's so removed from I don't know. It just, it, it feels like it aged really, really, really well. And I enjoyed the episode a great deal. Yeah. It's just, you drop these characters that are basically just characters and they're in a situation with no technology or anything. And it's just, how do we escape from this room with no doors or windows? Like that will always be something that you can easily, uh, uh something that you can easily grasp onto. Yeah and connect with these characters. And I just, I love it because, you know, you talk about the budgetary constraints of episodes and having something like this, that's so simplistic, but such a strong, deep teleplay to it. Um, this is just, this is what I want out of the twilight zone mm -hmm. is a episode like this. Yeah. And it was such a surprise, even though we had heard the name of the episode being held up there, this is one of those ones that's caught me off guard and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. So, all yep. right. Yeah. So, uh, my number three is, uh, two, which we just talked about a little bit previously. I felt like it set the bar so high for the season that I was like, yeah, here we come. Yeah. Talk no. about the exact opposite of, uh, five characters in search of an exit. This one had one of the biggest scopes, uh, as far as settings yeah. that we've, we've ever seen on the show. Yeah. It, but it had like this strong acting from Elizabeth Montgomery and Charles Bronson and his, uh, amazing eating chicken wings out of a can. Uh, we had, uh, him getting dressed up later with doing like a, a fakey ascot and like, a, like a, a suit jacket with the sleeves cut off. And, uh, yeah, just, I, this was such a strong character piece with some great place setting, which we found out during our recording the episode that that back lot was basically in disarray and just had been grown over that, that they're like, Oh, he's putting a camera. It looks like it's bombed out. It's fine. Like there was so much, it looked like there was so much money on the screen, but there really wasn't that you just accepted this world that they're in. The only, the only problem with that episode is that weird laser thing that goes on like later on towards the apple cart that Charles Bronson does a backflip over, but whatever. Other yeah. than that, this whole thing's strong all the way through. And I just, it, it does the whole social commentary, sci-fi narrative character arc that I feel like this is quintessential twilight zone. And I enjoyed it a great deal. Yeah, great episode. Yeah. Um, so my number three, correct? Yes. Yep. Uh, my number three is one you mentioned already. It's the dummy. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's no surprise I lean towards the horror aspects of the series, and this one is uh, it. it it definitely deserves its place at the list of top Twilight Zone episodes. Yes. I think it's actually frightening, which you can only say that for a handful of the episodes. Um, 
who was it? Uh, John Larch or not John Larch was his name. Um, oh, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the good life. Uh, Cliff <laughs> Robertson. Oh, my God. We were just talking about him before we started recording. Cliff Robertson as Jerry Etherson uh, and doing the voice of Willie and Goofy Goggles in this. His performance is incredible in this. Um, and I, I just, I love it. I love the way it looks. Uh, you mentioned the Dutch angles and everything and the shadows. Um, this is this is one of my favorites of the series. And yeah. It's definitely memorable. It's got a great twist. Um, and those dolls are terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and but as we all know, that Goofy Goggles is a punk ass bitch. That's what we know from that. So, uh, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's just it's it's a off kilter fun episode, though. Yeah, and the old switcheroo that happens at the end is such a it's not a needed story beat, but it just drives the point home. Like it's so, oh, it's yeah. good. And 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 also, this might be my favorite Sterling intro of the season, where he's already in the club watching everything he's just smoking sitting at a table i love it so much so yeah Yeah, that's definitely up there yeah though the dummy is really really good so yes we talked about it already and it's just it's watch it if you guys have not watched it with us talking about the episodes just watch it because i feel like it's also like if you're going to enter some of the twilight zone that's one of the ones that you should show people so all right so my number two which might be your number one so i'm gonna step on a little bit is the jungle um which (laughs) This one just came out of nowhere and it starts off a little weird, but the, 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 the middle and end sections of this are so intense and so amazing that it, you can't not be forgotten. And the ending shot of this is just, it's phenomenal. And I just, the, I love the terror. I love how like claustrophobic it feels though being in a city. It's, it's just in the shadow use and just in uh, the main actor, which I forget his name right now, but he is so sincere the entire time that when like, you know, everything's coming to hit him and he finally gets home to his apartment and has that drink where his hands kind of shaking. Here's the lion kind of like in the bedroom. It is haunting. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to speak about this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll come back to this one. Yeah. I just, I just enjoyed it. It just felt like it was one of those ones that I was not expecting at all whatsoever. Um, And I, I, I don't have, the the sound clip from this episode but the three things what was it a a severed finger a sacred death stone and a vulture claw like it's like yeah something like that there there is a dead goat in a hallway there's all this stuff going on and it it is just it it is just amazing and i just i i really enjoyed the episode yep (laughs) so so your number two is not this selling uh uh the rest of my list here um my number two is not the jungle um, it is. It's a good life. Okay. Season three, episode eight, uh, directed by James Sheldon. Uh, this one probably had the best tension out of any episode on the Twilight Zone that we've watched. I feel like there are scenes with uh, Bill Bill Mummy Mummy's character, the uh, the kid Anthony, um, when all of the adults are trying to uh, trying to keep him happy. And trying to uh, just appease him, uh, or they're going to be sent out into the cornfield, aka being turned into a monster or dying. Um, there are some of the scenes that are so intense in this that I I could watch this episode over and over again, never get sick of it. I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, it, it, talk about we, we've talked about some terrible child performances, but Bill Mummy in this is 
just incredible. Like his his innocence, but having the side that like maybe he knows what he's doing is just terrifying in this thing. And uh, yeah, I just overall, I, I just I think it's it's one of the best episodes of the Twilight Zone. No, it's really good. I, um, I, I, it wasn't in my top five. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Why it was not in my top five? Uh, because I feel like it's one of those things. Much like um, uh, to serve man, it's so well known, and I, that shouldn't discredit it at all. Because it's not. It, it's it's so good that it exists kind of in its own level of things, right? And it, it delivers. It delivers much more than the serve man. But I feel like because. I'm so aware of the character and then the Jack in the box and all this, that it was kind of like, like ruined for me, which is unfortunate. No, no fault of the episode because it did it first. And then twilight Zone the movie, which we'll get to eventually just destroyed me as a kid with its take on that. Uh, and then, yeah. the, and then the Simpsons did it too. Cause we'll get there when we get there. Um, like, no, it, it is, it is messed up. Like there's the whole thing with him, like making the three headed, um, gopher or something that you only see its tail. And the one yeah. guy's like, Oh no, no, that's really good. Anthony. I've never seen a three headed gopher. He's like, yeah, it's I'm so dumb. great that you oh, did that. It's yeah, really so good. Great. It's so great. Um, like it, it, you're right. This whole thing. And then you, when you were talking about how the story, the actual written story ended where it snowed the next day and half the crops were gone. It was so matter of fact. Oh, and it was God, kind of, yeah. and it was stated in the episode of like, why, why is it snowing? And then you see the dad, we said John Larch, um, which he's much more emotive in this episode than in dust. Uh, <laughs> but uh, like, he, he's so good of like, why would you do that? And he has to realize that he has to call it. He has to pull himself back in because one of their neighbors who got drunk off a of beach, it was a peach brandy. <laughs> And yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, he starts cracking yeah. and he's like, why are we giving in to this kid? You know, like and all this and they're all just watching everyone's expressions in the background as they're yeah. like, please stop, please stop, please yeah. stop. No, there's, <laughs> like, a, there, there's a whole like ticking oh, clock. So it just hurts. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, that, that scene is so memorable. Like that's that's one I'll never forget. Um, and that, it's, again, that's that's kind of what I look for is uh, um, I am I going to come back to this? Like I is, does this feel like a good representation of the series? And I, I feel like this is definitely one that I put on a must watch list for people. Yeah, if for they're sure. going to go through the twilight zone. Yeah. So my number one, which was talked about earlier was uh, five characters in search of an exit. And I'm just going to put that out there just because it's the most surreal and the most like just, it is so weird. And the, and the clown, I just love the clown on this. We just talked about it, but this is the yeah. one that was the most, like, it was the most like revelatory to me for this season, like in terms of like what the show could be and so abstract, but also terrifying. So I just enjoyed it, which we talked about it already. Yeah. Fantastic episode. Um, and then my number one should come as no surprise <laughs> is the jungle. jungle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is one of the things, uh, you know, I, I talk up Charles Beaumont and what, what a revelation he was to me, uh, discovering him through the show and going through, um, the short story and this episode have become like one of my favorite pieces of fiction. Like I absolutely love this and I love the whole aspect of the gentrification just kind of rolling over an entire group of people and having that past come back and haunt. 
um, modern time and stuff. And the, the whole aspect of superstition and him not believing and whether or not he believes in it, it's happening. It's just so terrifying. I, I love all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm always a sucker with that new versus old mm-hmm. and just having like the ancient comeback, the ancient, uh, supernatural comeback and, uh, haunt someone. Uh, it's just, it's tried and true. And I think they pull this off amazingly. Uh, the twist at the end, the dead goat, uh, <laughs> just having that lion in there. Yeah. Um, Zamba, the Zamba, the yeah, lion, which we found Zamba, out. He was just like the most, <laughs> the most easy going line ever. <laughs> yeah. But it's still just yeah. like, it, it's much like in uh, season two, I believe with the uh, elephant coming in in the last episode. <laughs> it's just like whenever you get these big animals just showing up on screen and knowing that they're on set with them, it just, it's, it's so exciting to see. Um, yeah. Serling's introduction. in this is one of my favorites when he's just rambling off some of the like superstitious, uh, superstitious, uh, items. Um, I love that. I love the atmosphere of this episode. It's, this is a nice dark and shadowy episode. The performance from John Denner, uh, is, is, is incredible. I love the jungle sounds coming through in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, even the scene when he's running past like the church, like some of the outdoor settings, um, very memorable shots. It just all together. I love Charles Beaumont when he's firing on all cylinders. It doesn't get much better. And I think, uh, Last season, it wasn't a Beaumont. It was Shadow Play. That was one of our favorites, right? I think that was number one, which was, I think it was Beaumont. Well, um, I was thinking of, uh, um, oh my God, the the devil one. Oh, you, uh, the, the Howling Man. Which you the could, Howling Man, yeah. But I feel like Shadow Play was that, I think that was Beaumont as well. We ended up liking that one a great deal and had no idea about that episode. So, um, yeah. yeah, no, you're, you, you like, you love the Howling Man and I, I enjoyed it. I'm not saying I disliked it, but you know, yeah, I absolutely yeah. love it. But I feel like this is, this is a great companion piece for me. Like I would watch the Howling Man in the jungle back to back anytime. <laughs> like I just, I, I am, um, I am surprised. I'm sure you're going to mention your runner ups here that I'm surprised that Young Man's Fancy didn't show up in your top five. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, um, yeah, I, I would definitely put that on the runners up, but, I just don't think it had it didn't have the look or the feel that any of the episodes I ended up picking for my top five did. Yeah. And I feel like it was lacking in the direction and the cinematography and that. But I that was a nice hammer of an ending for me as well. Well, and I feel like we would be remiss not mentioning Death Death's Head Revisited because I feel yeah, like I, I played around with that one as well because that was oh. such an emotional viewing. And I feel like that that was really refreshing just to see something so uh it's so dark but you could tell it was coming from a time where people were still trying to grasp this these atrocities and everything and uh you know being so far removed it it probably doesn't have the same impact although it does have quite a bit of an impact as it did mm-hmm. when it came out in 1961 um but yeah i played around with it but it's it's not necessarily a fun viewing no no so okay. it, it was hard for me to put on my top five because all five of the ones that i have on my list are really fun to sit down and watch it's just a death sounds real heavy it is, and it like it's one of those things that it would be remiss not mentioning that it wasn't a good episode to watch. Same thing like Quality of a Mercy. That was what it was good to watch. 
It was a little, you know, but it's like not maybe not the best episode. Uh, even like the passers by with like the sudden ghost linking at the at the end, like it was worthy of watching. And the shelter was also really really good, but it was like I don't know, I didn't there. Yeah, there, well, I yeah. I feel like we got the better shelter in Monsters and Duo Maple yes. Street. Yeah, um, but I I did really like the shelter. Um, and even the last episode of the season, I really really enjoyed Donald Pleasant's uh, performance and changing of the guard. Yeah, like so much so that it. It's on my short list for runners up. And then obviously two just narrowly missed my top five. So that's that's on mine. I mean, just for the can chicken alone, it's a, it's been reverberating. So I'm just I'm gonna give a runner up for the most like really that's what happened this episode. I'm gonna give it to the rival. <laughs> you had the main yeah. character just stick his hand out into the prop of an airplane just to prove a point, and then it turns out he was right, but also not right. Um I don't know. Like this whole and then like in terms of like weird episodes that we didn't even put in any of our lists, like the mirror was a weird episode. Yeah, that's a really weird one. Uh, <laughs> Still Valley was another weird one where we're like, what do we do with this? Um, uh, nothing in the dark was really good, but it didn't end up on our top five. Like that was yeah. like, like Robert. I like the yeah. poltergeisty, uh, yeah. little girl lost episode. Yeah, that was that good was, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, kick the cam was good. Um, yeah, kick kick the can is definitely a nostalgic. Uh, um, it, it's it's a little too soft for my sensibilities, so <laughs> it yeah. didn't end up on my top. But it's it's definitely a, a great episode. Like the trade-ins had some good moments to it too. Like there's there is worth of this in the season, but there this was an odd journey all the way through. You know, like it was just one of those things where it's like, all right, I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know. Like, I, I know I came down hard on some of this stuff probably more than you did. I don't regret watching any of it. Um, even we didn't even mention once upon a time, the Buster Keaton silent film ish episode. It Like there was moments of that that were funny. And again, wasted potential of a main yeah. lead. Um, I was, I was debating. I really wanted to throw it on a list just so we could bring up the time helping again, but <laughs> it wasn't frustrating enough to end up on my frustrating list and it wasn't bad enough to end up on my worst list. Yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of left it off, but yeah, that was, a, that was a fun conversation about that one at least. No, we had fun and I love Buster Keaton. So I'm never, I'm never going to discount that episode because I think, I think there is good physical comedy in that. Not all of it. Rolo can, um, be gone. And we found out that he ended up killing himself later because of back pain. So I can't be like, go die in a fire. No, he shot himself. That'd be terrible to say that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like this was good. It was, it was interesting season to get through. I I feel like there was some really low lows, but some interesting highs and yeah, I just, (laughs) yeah, my, my big takeaway still is, uh, stop trying with the comedy (laughs) it just doesn't it it just doesn't fit into the show it's never enjoyable for me i mean i i like how i'm telling them to stop trying they uh they did they did yeah Yeah. they stopped trying about 50 years ago yeah um but yeah it's just it that never works for me um still leaning towards the horror episodes and the the weirder fair um but yeah, I I, th- I think a lot of the episodes this season, more than half of them, were just okay for me, and th- that was frustrating as well because it was like they they weren't bad enough that I could really pile on them, but some of them were just kind of a slog to get through. <laughs> I agree. So 
Um, yeah, so next season, season four is going to be 18 um, hour-long episodes, which, I mean, hour, put in quotes, there's, there's you know, obviously commercials. Um, for people that don't know, season four is not available on Netflix. It's available on Hulu and CBS All Access. There's some reasons for that. We'll get there when we get there. I uh, hope you guys join us for that because this has been fun and we enjoy talking about this. And again, uh, as frustrated as I might be for a lot of this stuff, I wouldn't, would not, uh, would not take any of it back whatsoever. As much as I had to go through four o'clock, we had a lot of fun with it. So, or the hunt, Definitely. you know, like, yeah, yeah, but this is a good opportunity to, uh, get on that CBS all access app because yeah. you can watch season four with us and you can binge watch the entire, uh, uh, by the time we get to season four, you can binge watch the entire Jordan Peele series. Yeah, and in seven days from now, in the, uh, the 30th of May, when we're recording this, they're actually going to release the entire uh, new season in black and white. So if you guys are waiting to watch it and want to see it in black and white, that's kind of cool. So Yeah, I yeah. might watch, I might pick like one episode, figure out what's my favorite at the end and go back and watch it in black and white just to see. But I don't think I'm going to rewatch a whole series. In black and white. <laughs> don't so. tip your hand. No. Um, well, no, I just, no. Uh, I, I, maybe in a few years I'll go back and rewatch some of them. But, I just think uh, it's great that CBS is offering that as an option. So I think that, I yeah, think it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah. All right. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great time to sign up for that. Um, watch season four and just kind of roll through the entire Peel series. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, all right, that's going to put a pen and we're going to be done with season three. Uh, I know we talked a lot about it, but we were also went through what? 37 episodes. So I feel like an hour and a half <laughs> is probably not the worst amount of time to spend talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. think we, uh, I think this is going to be shorter than our season two wrap up. I feel like we kept <laughs> a good pace through this. Yeah. I feel like I, these wrap ups usually go like two hours. Yeah, so. probably. So, but we still got to talk about uh, other things. It's like in an hour from now, or sorry, two hours from now, we're going to, we're going to talk about uh, the Jordan Peele series. Uh, after this we're going to talk about Port point of origin which is the 2019 season one episode eight we're going to talk about that so if you guys want to check that out uh join our patreon for as low as one dollar a month uh you have access to all that uh and then at five dollars a month you can listen to all that stuff and also pick an episode of the anthology series that's not twilight zone we'll cover it on the show uh we have some patreon picks coming up soon we'll talk about that when we get there and then at ten dollars a month or more you will get access to all that and you could pick an anthology film and we can talk about it and you can join us. In addition to that, we will send you a frame photo of the most important mammal that's ever existed. Hyperion. <laughs> that's probably not true, but I thought you were going to say the raccoon from the hunt, the, the raccoon from the hunt, because it sent Hyder Simpson into the, the, the depths and we're, we're thankful for that. Um, <laughs> so that way that, um, his, his wife will pine for him and wonder if something's going to shit on her bed. And so, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Lit on her bed. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Much better. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, you join the Patreon. It's a lot of fun over there. And we're going to talk about point of origin and uh, yeah, well, I'm not going to tip my hand, but we'll, we'll uh, talk about that episode and uh, whatever. And so before we wrap up season three, Kevin, how can people find us? Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Satchel, uh, Spotify, pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. We are there. Um, and whatever you do listen to us on, it would really help us out. If you would rate and review us on there. And if you want to send us an email, let us know what you thought about season three or what you think about 
the show in general. Um, our email is strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, perfect. So uh, next episode that we're going to be doing for this show, because it's a weird thing that we normally would take a little time off between seasons. Um, so, But we have two more episodes after tonight of the new Jordan Peele stuff, so it'd be weird to do Patreon-only episodes and not talk about other stuff. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, season one, episode one of The Outer Limits. So we're going to be looking at the galaxy being uh, that has Cliff Robertson, which we liked from The Dummy and 100 Yards Over the Rim. It's the very first episode of the, um, the Outer Limits. It's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, I've never seen this. I'm, I've never seen any of the original run of the Outer Limits. It'll be fun to dig in and see. Then this was produced um, in 63. So it already knows the Twilight Zone exists and Robertson's been a part of the series. So let's see how this goes. So that's basically the pilot for the Outer Limits. Yeah, let's see somebody else's take on this type of show. Yeah. It so, should be interesting. Yeah, it will be interesting. So, yeah, that's going to do it for us. Our season three wrap-up. We made it. I lived through it. I wasn't expecting <laughs> now we it. Now we have to live through 18 hours of season four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, at least Burt Reynolds shows up at the very last episode. So, And we have we get more Jack Klugman and, um, oh, what's his name? Um freaking um burgess meredith we get him like another time so yeah so yeah yeah we'll, we'll get there eventually yeah we're in typical fashion going to be doing some some detours as we like to call it and cover some other stuff just to kind of refresh before we go into more twilight zone yeah so i hope you guys join in on those episodes and thank you guys for listening all this time it's uh <laughs> i i hope you guys are enjoying the journey as much as we are yes and uh especially thanks to our patreon supporters now it's uh it's been a wild ride for these past couple of years and um i i really appreciate that people are stepping up and supporting the show yeah so all right that's going to do it for season three and um yeah join the patreon and listen to us talk about uh jennifer goodwin uh being deported and how that makes her feel bad about things so all right that's going to do it for for us for season three and we'll we'll see you next time in the outer limits see you guys Do you think uh, that'll happen in uh, science fiction? I'm sorry? Do you think that will happen in science fiction? or science Well, there fiction isn't like any science fiction on the air anymore. But if you mean science fiction well, like in Night printed Gallery page or... form, oh, no, I think there's, that's the best, best avenue for young, young writing talent that there is. Uh, also, it's, it's reaching its own in terms of recognition. Science fiction is becoming an altogether legitimate art form and a very special socially conscious writing form. And I think you can see it in some of the stuff, the Vonnegut stuff, the Isaac Asimov stuff, the Arthur Clarke stuff, certainly. 2001, I think, has to be one of the 15 best films I've ever seen. Not just because it was... Oh, you don't have to applaud, for Christ's sakes. You've only got about 40 minutes, and I didn't even write 2001. Uh, I mean that. No, please don't. I understand your enthusiasm for certain items. And I also caught the snickering at some of the meaningful lines that I had on my own show here. <laughs> Which, you've got to believe me, young friends, 12 years ago had great significance, and now suddenly, I don't know what the hell happened to it. 